Welcome to the Social Dallas Podcast. Today you'll hear an uplifting message. Our hope is that your relationship with God would flourish like never before. word to preach today. Um, we are not in a series. These are just standalone messages. And uh, we had church this morning at 9 a.m. But I feel like there's just something special on this 1130. Come on. So it's going to be good. So this is the last time I'm going to ask you to stand up. So you just stand uh, to honor the reading of God's word. If you want to stand up after this, that's on you. Okay. But uh, let's just stand to read God's word. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to look at verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to read an interesting narrative in 1 Samuel chapter 18. We'll start at verse number 5 and land at verse number 9. Hebrews chapter 12. When you're ready to read it, say yeah. yeah. If you're not ready, say hold up. All right, I heard that hold up right here in this section right here, so I'm going to give you a few moments. Hebrews chapter 12, a familiar verse of scripture to those of y'all who are super saved and Sunday school alumnus and went to vacation Bible school stuff. You know this one, but uh, let's read it anyway. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. What an awesome thought to consider that God has set a race. Somebody say race. A race before each and every one of us. And we are required to run that race. How do we run this race? So glad you asked. The writer of Hebrews tells us we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Just keep your eyes on him. You ain't got to be fast. You ain't got to have the greatest agility. He says, if you want to run the race, keep your eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Can you say amen? And I want you to look at a story in 1 Samuel 18, and I'm reading from the message translation. And it says, whatever Saul gave David to do, he did it and did it well. So well that Saul put him in charge of his military operations. Everybody, both the people in general and Saul's servants, approved of and admired David's leadership. As they returned home after David had killed the Philistine, the women poured out of all of the villages of Israel, singing and dancing, welcoming King Saul with tambourines, festive songs, and lutes. I'm not really sure what a lute is, but I'm assuming it's like a flute without the F. That's what, that's what I think it is. And it says, in playful frolic, the women sang, please listen to this song, Saul kills by the thousand, David by the ten thousand. Ooh, this made Saul angry, very angry. He took it as a personal insult. He said, huh, they credit David with ten thousands, but me with only thousands? Before you know it, they'll be giving him the kingdom. And from that moment on, Saul kept his eye on David. 
I want to preach before I preach, so don't count this as my preaching time. But I would like us to see these two passages of Scripture side by side in parallel. Because here the writer of Hebrews says, hey, whether you realize it or not, there is a race that has been set before you, and you are required to run this race by keeping your eyes on who? Jesus. Oh, come on. Some of y'all didn't have y'all coffee today. By keeping your eyes on who? And here we have Saul because of a comparison that these ladies made between him and David. No longer is he focused or honed in on his purpose or his assignment, but comparison is so strong. It caused Saul to shift all of his attention, all of his energy on David. Last week, my message title was Fix your face. Fix your face. This is kind of a part two, because today I'm not telling you to fix your face. Today, I'm telling you, run your race. Run your race. Would you do me a favor? Look at the neighbor for the last time, whichever one you want. Just look at him. Say, neighbor. Oh, I know this is for you. Say, neighbor. Run your race. Come on, look at your other neighbor, the one you ignored. Come on, say, other neighbor. Please, for your benefit and mine, run your race. Not your aunties, not your cousins, not your uncles, not your best friends. Run your race. Run the race that God set before you. Do the thing he put you on this earth to do. Run your race. Or yo, race, whichever one you want to use. Come on, would you bow your heads? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence. God, speak to us today. Let us leave here different than the way that we came in. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Somebody say, run your race. Run your race little sermonic survey before we really jump into this today. How many would say, just by a showing of hands, and be honest, that you like to work out? You enjoy exercise. Can I see your hand? Oh my goodness, look at all these hands in the second service. This is a healthy church. Come on, keep it lifted. <laughs> Y'all like to work out. Okay, all right, you can put it down. How many of you say, by a showing of hands, that you do not like to work out, you don't enjoy exercise, let me see your hand. Come on, don't lie in church. Amen. <laughs> okay, you can put it down. Uh, those of you, those of you who lifted up your hands the first time, the first time, saying that you like to work out, that you actually enjoy exercise, you are officially dismissed from this service, okay? <laughs> not for real, you can leave, as a matter of fact, run home, okay? <laughs> Because I feel like I found some camaraderie and some connection with the second group of people. Come on, y'all are my people, okay? Y'all are, you are. I will lift up both hands, both feet, tell the truth, and shame the devil, okay? I do not like to work out. There is nothing in me that finds like enjoyment or pleasure in going to the gym. Now, don't get it twisted. I do work out. I do, but I'm complaining all the way to the gym. This is nothing that I enjoy. I'm not excited about it, even though I do it. I do it because sometimes you got to do what you don't want to do so you can do what you want to do, like eat Mexican food without condemnation. 
You know, I, I don't enjoy it. I don't like it. As a matter of fact, I am theologically and physiologically persuaded that having to work out was as a result of the fall of man. Oh, I'm serious. I'm thankful. I'll take that amen. You understand that when sin entered the world, it had so many different ramifications. It had ramifications in the earth. It had ramifications in our bodies. You realize before sin was in the world, the earth was still. Sin enters the world. We now have earthquakes, okay? Before sin was in the earth, the water was calm and peaceful. Sin enters the earth. We now have earthquakes, okay? Before sin, you understand that animals were nice. The lion laid down with the lamb. You could pet a lion before sin entered the earth. Try to pet a lion today. Go ahead, just try and see what happens. You will lose all of your arm because creation was affected by a decision that Adam and Eve made. And so did our physical bodies have ramifications because of what they did. Oh, I'm telling you, before sin, we were good. You understand Adam and Eve, they didn't have to work out. There were no gems in Genesis. I am convinced that Adam, whoo, he had a six-pack. He had biceps. He had triceps. Ladies, Eve did not have any cellulite. She didn't. And some of you are like, uh-uh, back it up. What's your scripture for that? Give us scripture. I'll give you scripture. The Bible says they were both naked and unashamed. Come on, somebody. You only walk around naked if you got it going on. They were good. It wasn't until sin entered the world that calories and gluten entered the world too. So I don't like to work out, but, but I do work out. And if I'm honest, I like lifting weights. I like lifting. There's something manly about putting on Old Spice and lifting iron. I'm cool. I'm cool with lifting weights. That, that's not the issue. The issue is whoo, this little word called cardio. I, I, I do it and I don't get the point of it. It doesn't get better. It still hurts. I hate cardio. I cannot articulate to you how much I hate to run, okay? I hate that run runs with fun because there's nothing fun to me about running, okay? Whenever I do run, I convince my mind I have asthma just so I can stop running, okay? I hate it. I hate running. And so whenever I go to the treadmill, it takes a lot of motivation for me to get on a treadmill, even though I do it almost every day. And you know how it is when you go on the treadmill. You're going, you'll be at a good pace. You'll be like, oh, this is easy. This is awesome. I've been running for like, feels like 30 minutes. Then you look at the screen, it's like three minutes. I'm like, Lord, my asthma, I'm about to die today. So I've developed, I've developed this mechanism, and somebody's going to steal this, and some of y'all already use this. I have developed a mechanism to help me endure running on a treadmill. I'm giving my secrets today. Whenever I'm running on a treadmill, this is why I go to group classes, is as I am running, as I'm wanting to give up and just throw in the towel, I will first look to the right, and then I will look to the left, and I will just peruse the aisle of other people that are on their treadmills. And what I'm doing is I'm looking for somebody anybody, hopefully a much older than me body. And once I found that random person, true story, I will lock my eye in on that person and I will say something to them, not out loud, but in my mind, real loud. I'd be like, Psh, you don't want none today. That's what I will say to them. Now, when I said that, unbeknownst to them, we just entered into a race, okay? We just entered into a race. When I made that declaration, the entire gym has now turned into the 2022 Olympics. And the first person to get off that treadmill is going home with the silver. And the one that stays on the longest is going to get the gold. And I'm going to get the gold because I'm a child of God, the head and not the tail. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. 
I'm not kidding. This happens all the time. And it really helps me if the person is right next to me because then I can see their screen so I can see exactly how fast they're going. So it's even, you know what I'm saying? So if they on level six, I'm on level six. Point one. And uh, <laughs> they go on an incline, I'm going to go on an incline, okay? If they stop and take a break, I'm going to stop and take a break. Oh, yes. I'm not going to keep running while they stop and take a break. That's cheating, okay? You can't cheat in the Olympics. This is a global event. So whatever they do, I will do. And I'll make sure that when I get down to the final seconds, I run as fast as I can. And I do better than them in the best time. I do it all the time. Matter of fact, I beat a guy this week. Beat a guy, I'm sorry, last week. Last week. He's here. He's here. Pastor AJ. I beat AJ. I beat him so bad, so bad. He didn't even know we were in the race, but I beat him. I beat him. He didn't even catch it after class. He was like, how was it? I was like, it was good. I'm great. Matter of fact, I'm golden, you loser. You didn't even know. He had no clue. <laughs> he thought he was just coming to work out with me. He had no clue. We were racing. Isn't that funny? He didn't even know. He was in a competition that I made up in my head. And here I am, running as fast as I can, trying to beat him. And you laugh, because it's funny when you talk about comparing yourself to people in the gym, comparing yourself to people when you're working out. But how many know it is not so funny when you talk about comparing yourself to people in life? And ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, the question that I was demanded to ask you today is, uh, who are you racing? Who are you racing? No, for real, I, I'm just wondering, who have you set your eye on and you are running your race, your life, according to their pace, according to their lifestyle, according to their post and their status, instead of doing the thing that God has called you to do, instead of chasing after the purpose and the assignment that God has placed on your life, ooh, I just came to warn you today that the comparison game, ooh, is a dangerous game to play. You know another reason I hate running on the treadmill? I don't know if you noticed this or not. Have you noticed on the treadmill, you're doing a whole lot of moving, a whole lot of breathing, a whole lot of sweating, but you ain't going anywhere. You were in the exact same position the entire time. What a beautiful metaphor for comparing yourself to other people. Because whenever you compare your life to somebody else, all you end up doing is exerting a lot of psychological, emotional, and spiritual energy, trying to keep up and compete with somebody you were never called or created to be. And at the end of all of it, you realize, I'm in the exact same position I was when I first got started. May not get a whole lot of amens today. As a matter of fact, I, I'm afraid I have more message and more material than I even have minutes because I'm actually doing something that a great mentor in my life told me that I'll never forget. He said, Robert, if you're ever lacking for material to preach, just preach from your weakness. You'll never lack for material. I'm preaching from my weakness today because I'm telling you, I have found in my own life this inner tendency, this consistent propensity to always compare my race to somebody else's. I found out that as I'm running the race God has set before me, I have this tendency to turn my head and to look at the people who are running in the lanes beside me. And just when I think I've conquered it, how many of you know comparison will meet you in another season of your life? 
Oh yes, I, I wish I could tell you today, yes, I've conquered comparison and this is my clinic today on how you can conquer it too. Please, I am a work in progress. I found out every season of life, the enemy will try to get you to start playing the comparison game. When you're single, you'll start comparing your life to your single friends and then you'll get married and you'll start comparing your marriage to somebody else's. Man, uh, they got the 10,000 roses for Valentine's Day. You got three. What's wrong with you? You'll start You'll do it to your kids. Any parents can testify? Happened to me this week. This week, I'm taking my beautiful three little humans to their dentist appointment, all three of them at the same time, seven, five, and four. Come on, somebody. You want to increase your prayer life? Take your kids all together to the dentist's office. And there they are in the dentist's office. And I'm confused as to how everybody else's kids is in the dentist's office, politely sitting with their fingers crossed. They're eating snacks with croissants and cutlery and speaking proper. And here are my kids acting like they have lost their minds jumping off the ceiling fan. I'm like, what's wrong with y'all? Why can't you be like them? <laughs> Losing my mind. You'd be shocked at how many parents have put pressure on their kids out of comparison, out of comparison, because you're getting calls from everybody else's family talking about, yes, my child, yes, they're looking at Harvard and Princeton. Yeah, it's probably going to get more degrees than a thermometer. Just very, very smart. A lot of cognitive aptitude. And they're your kid. They can't read Dr. Seuss. And you're like, why can't you get your life together? I'm telling you, comparison will creep into every facet of your life. It will affect your finances. Oh, yes. Thousands upon thousands of dollars in credit card debt, spending money you don't have on things you don't need to impress people you don't even like just to show them anything you can do, charge it. I can do it better. Ball it. Comparison, it'll affect your relationships. Some of you don't even realize the weight you have put on people around you because you have been comparing them to a relationship that you saw somewhere else. Comparison will affect every aspect of your life. And hear me, I am convinced that the enemy's number one weapon of mass distraction and mass destruction is to get you to compare your life to somebody else. It is his number one weapon. You understand, he is into weapons of mass destruction, but he's also into weapons of mass distraction. Because if he can distract you, he can destroy you. And for many of you, he has taken your focus away because just like Saul, you've played into the comparison game. Comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is like cancer to contentment. You know, the Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. You cannot be content when you're comparing yourself to somebody else. I love the Apostle Paul, um, this amazing church planner. He knew, he knew that comparison was going to be an issue. And he talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I want you to see this, what he says to the church at Corinth. He says, for we dare not, we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. Ooh, Paul says, you are crazy. You cannot operate in wisdom if you are using somebody else's life to be the measuring stick for your life. He says, when comparison comes in, wisdom will go out. He feels the need to bring it up to the church in Galatia too. Look at what it says in Galatians. Galatians uh, chapter uh, 6, verse 4. He says, look at this. 
make a careful exploration of who you are and work and the work you have been given and then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Hello, I know you got sunglasses on inside. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself to others. What is the Apostle Paul trying to get the church to understand? He's trying to get you to understand that you will never step into the call God has placed on your life if you are comparing it to the call on somebody else's life. The greatest way to be confused about your calling, about your unique wiring, is to compare your life to somebody else. In fact, I've often said it like this. Comparison will consistently cloud the clarity of God's call on your life. That was so nice. I'm going to wind it to you, give it to you again. Comparison will consistently cloud the clarity of God's call on your life. Some of you here are like, I'm so confused about my calling. I don't know what, you know why you're confused? It's because you've been playing the comparison game and you've been looking at other people's lane and looking at the thing God called them to do, but he did not call you to do. Uh, before I even talk about clarity of call, maybe I should just establish that there is a call that God has placed on your life. Oh, I hope you know that today. I hope you know that there is a call that God has placed on your life. Not a random call, but a call that is so unique, a call that is so specific, a call that is so idiosyncratic that only you can do the thing that God has put you on this earth to do. Come on, your mama can't do it, your cousin can't do it, your brother can't do it. You can have a twin, they can't do it. Only you can do the thing, I feel like preaching now, that God has consistently and conveniently called you to do. There is a call on your life. Please believe that God did not come from heaven to earth, put on human skin, die on the cross so we could have cute church services, sing songs off a screen like it's Christian karaoke. You hear a cute TED talk and then go home. No! He came because there's actually a call on your life. Yes, he saves you and redeems you, but there's also a call. There's a purpose. There's an assignment. There is something that you have to do before you leave this earth and you are wasting time and minutes and days and years scrolling at everybody else's life instead of saying, God, what did you put me on this earth to do? What is my call? The fact that you woke up this morning is proof positive that God is not through with you yet because you got a call. Oh, I wish somebody that knew they were called would take like 10 seconds and give God some praise. Like, you know, there is an assignment on your life. There is a purpose for your life. The reason I still got a pulse is because I got a purpose. I got a call. I got a call. I got a call. Woo, I feel like preaching. You know, you, you know why? You know why I can get up and preach like this without fear? fear or what anybody else thinks or even some of the faces that some of y'all make sometimes when I preach is because this is my call. This is my call. I was called to do this. Oh, I'm telling you, there's a different swagger. There's a different Godfidence that you have when you know your call. Oh, before Pastor Taylor and I ever planted the church, there was one prayer I prayed. There was one prayer I prayed. I said, God, one prayer. I said, God, it'll have to be a big church. We ain't got to have the best worship. But God, all I ask for you to do is just confirm that we are called to plant this church. Just confirm it in my spirit. That's the only thing I prayed because I traveled on the road for 16 years. I was in churches all the time. I talked to pastors. I know what pastors go through. I know how people act. I 
I know church folks are crazy. And I said, Lord, all I'm asking is that you just confirm in my spirit that I'm called to do this because I know the arrows that are going to come. I know the demonic attack, but I can handle the attack if I know that I know that I know that you've called me to do this thing. And I don't know who I'm preaching to today, but there are some times in life all you have to go to is your call. You won't have a feeling. Your emotions will be all over the place, but you got to go back to the call and remind your flesh, I was called to this. I was called to that family. I was called to that job. I was called to be their dad. I was called to be their mom. I was called to that business. It's a call. You ain't got a call? God bless you. If you, especially ministry, it trips me out the people that yeah, I'm going to try ministry. Yeah, it looks like a lucrative career. Good luck, homie. You better have a call that you can come back to and say, God, you called me to this. Oh, furthermore, God has strategically given you everything you need for your call. Now, I know I got three claps on that, and I'll tell you why I got three claps and not more. Is because we genuinely <laughs> said they're taking notes, Pastor. <laughs> but do you know why it's hard for us to really accept that we have everything we need for our call? It's hard to accept it because some of us really believe that God would not be kind in His grace and His mercy to equip you with what you need for your call. And so because the enemy is so loud and he's such a liar, many of us, when we step into the fullness of our call, there's almost this imposter syndrome you have to fight. You have this nagging, gnawing voice of the enemy telling you, you don't have it. But I came to tell you, God wouldn't have called you to it if you didn't have him. I'm not saying you don't have to work. I'm not saying you don't have to have discipline. I'm not saying you might have to go back to school. All of those are true, but I'm just saying God would not have given you what he gave you if he didn't call you to it. As a matter of fact, sometimes you got to look at the gifts and the talents and the thing that God has put in you because all those things are blues clues to your call. I'm telling you, your call is not outside of you. It is in you. He wouldn't have given it to you if he didn't call you to it your skin color the time you were born into your family all of that was your call if you're supposed to be taller guess what he would have made you taller if you're supposed to be faster he would have made you faster if you were supposed to sing he would have given you a voice if you were supposed to dance he would have given you some rhythm hello if you were supposed to be America's next top model he would have made you cuter hallelujah I'm playing, I'm playing. Take that one back. If you were supposed to be black, he would have made you black. If you were supposed to be white, he would have made you white. If you were supposed to be Latino, Buenos Dias, he would have made you Latino. You got everything you need on the inside of you. Stop complaining about the things you didn't get and just start thanking God for the stuff you got. Oh, can we just take 10 seconds for a thank you praise? Oh, God, thank you that you gave me this hair, that you gave me these teeth, that you gave me this body. It is strategic to my call. You got something? You got something? 
oh, I feel God doing something right now. I come against everything that makes you feel insecure and that makes you hold down your head, that makes you feel like you don't have what it takes. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you because you're called. Got some people that God has opened up a legitimate door in your life and you're about to walk away from the door God opened. Like, I don't know if I got what it takes. And your insecurity and your timidity will shut down the call of God more than anything else because you didn't take inventory of what he gave you. Don't sit down. We're just talking. We're just talking. There's a call. Somebody say, I'm called. I'm called. I'm, I'm called. I'm called. I, I can't complain about the pieces I didn't get. I just got to thank him. I'm a masterpiece. Ooh, did you hear what I said? I cannot complain about the pieces I didn't get. I'm just thanking God I'm a masterpiece. Ooh, can I interrupt this regularly scheduled sermon so you can engage in a verbal exercise? Would you just say this? Say, I am a masterpiece. Say it like you believe that thing. Say, I am a masterpiece. Come on, say it like you had some Red Bull. Come on, say, I am a masterpiece. Some of y'all think that's like feel-good phraseology. It's like self-help talk. It's like preacher hype. No, it's just scripture. I'll give it to us. Okay, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us who long ago that God is a strategic God. And he actually has already marked out a course and a lane for me to run in. And so since he's already marked it out, the challenge I have is to stay in my lane and keep my eyes on him so I can run my race. He's already marked out the path. The challenge is just to stay in your lane and keep your eyes on him. It's interesting because you know, a lane is comprised of two lines. Can we just talk for a little bit? A, a, a lane has two lines, right? Two lines that make a lane. It's a line here, line here. Sound effects make preaching better. And, and you gotta stay within the parameters of the two lines. Two lines make the lane. Interestingly enough, you have two destinies. There's actually a duality to your destiny. There's one destiny that is universal. There's a universal destiny for every believer. And this destiny is important, and that is for you to become more and more like Jesus every single day. That is the universal destiny of every believer, that every day you would become conformed to the image of Jesus. Some of you are going through some stuff right now that you're calling a trial. No, it's just making you become more and more like Jesus. Oh yes, oh yes. I know you want to react a certain way, but that situation, that coworker is helping you become more and more like Jesus. You ought to just tell them that. You ought to put them in your phone like that. Helping me become more like Jesus. I know her name is uh, 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 Kelly, but just delete Kelly and put helping me become more and more like Jesus. And every time she calls, going, thank you, Lord. Help me love a little bit more. Help me be patient a little bit more. Help me be faithful a little bit more. That's the universal call. But you have another destiny that is not universal. It is unique. And that is you are to become unlike anybody God ever created. 
because when God made you, he broke the mold. Everybody else is already taken. You may as well just be you. Be who God created you to be. So this is the challenge of life. It's to stay within the parameters of those two lines. Every day I wake up, I'm trying to be more and more like Jesus and unlike anybody God has ever created. More and more like him and less and less like them. More and more like him and less and less like them. More and more like him and less and less like them. More and more like him. I know I shouldn't have gone there. Not at the 1130. Bring it back. Bring it back. That's the challenge. And if I can do that, stay within those parameters and keep my eyes on him, then I can run my race. But the challenge is I got people running the lanes beside me. And sometimes their lanes look so much better. I see it. They post it. Come on. You ever experienced the phenomenon of being in traffic? And isn't it funny? Whenever you're stuck in traffic, you always, you always feel like the lanes beside you I've driven next to some of y'all. You feel like the lanes beside you are always the one moving faster. So here you go talking about, uh-uh, this now, uh-uh, I can't be late again. Let me go and get over here. Oh, no, this one faster. You about to wreck your car, switch your lanes, and you would have got there the same time had you just stayed in your lane. God told me to tell somebody, do not wreck your life trying to get in somebody else's lane. Stay in your lane and run your race. Your lane. Your lane. Your lane to run your race. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. You can try it if you want. Because the day, the day you start running your race like this, the day you start running your race like this, Let me just prophesy to you. There's a crash in your future. No wonder Saul. Saul had such a huge crash. Saul had a crash because he started playing the comparison game. Now, don't forget how Saul steps into the Bible. Oh, I wish I had time. Saul comes into the Bible on the canvas of comparison. Those of you who know your word, you understand that the children of Israel were crying for a king. They wanted to be like every other nation that had a visible king. They didn't realize the power of what they had. Like all these other nations, they got kings they can see. Why are we the only ones that don't have a king we can see? We got Yahweh, but we can't see him. We want a visible king we can see. And so God said, all right, you want a king? I'll give you a king. Oh, you know, God will do that sometimes. I found sometimes God will give you the thing that you think you need and let you get to the end of yourself and see that that thing was never going to work in the first place. Samuel, Samuel was depressed. He's like, I can't believe they're rejecting you. And God said, they rejected me. It's all right, don't worry about it. But go ahead and get the king. And they picked Saul. And boy, did he fit the bill. They wanted a king they could see. They got it. Saul, he looked like a king. He talked like a king. I can see him, head full of hair, beard. Bible said he stood a head and shoulders above any other person. Bible said he was good looking. Come on, when the Bible says you're good looking, can't nobody tell you you're ugly, okay? (laughs) Nobody tell you. Just tell him, read the word. You already know. Saul looked like a king. He talked like a king. And God, God just blessed him. He still picked him and blessed him to be a king. 
But I've often said, you got to be careful with the blessing of God. Because if the brightness of the blessing ever starts blinding you to the blesser, it's no longer a blessing. It becomes a curse. And the position, hear me today, the position that God legitimately gave Saul ended up being his demise because he was more obsessed with being the king than he was with worshiping the king of kings. He was more concerned with his title and his position than he was with God's presence. So God had to remove the kingship away from him. But there was another young boy out on the outskirts of Jerusalem who didn't care about a title. He didn't care about being mentioned. He didn't care about his Instagram page. He was alienated and ostracized from his own family. All this shepherd boy cared about was being in the presence of God. As a matter of fact, even when he was rejected by his own family, he did not sulk and his rejection, he pulled out a harp and started writing songs to God. Talking about the Lord is my shepherd. I got every single thing that I need. Who does that? Who has sheep poop between their toes but still playing a harp? Talking about God, I got every single thing that I need. Oh, he just loved the presence of God. And then one day his dad sends him a text message and says, hey, can you bring your brothers a ham and cheese sandwich at the battlefield? And when he came with the ham and cheese sandwiches, he sees a giant who is big enough to eat hay and dumb enough to enjoy it. And he says, wait a minute. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? I love David. That's Christian cussing right there. That is some good old Christian cussing. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? No, I'm not going to be quiet. Y'all been letting him talk about our God like this the whole time? No, no, no. I'm about to knock him out. In fact, somebody let me know. What do you get for knocking this giant out? They said, well, Dave, you're going to get the king's daughter in marriage, and you ain't never going to have to pay taxes your entire life. David said, what? Somebody hold my harp. Oh, he said, "I'm I'm about to knock him out. I love it. I love it. I love that David comes up to Goliath based off the history that he had with his God in a secret place. With a slingshot. If I had time, I would talk to you about how Saul tried to get him to put on his armor to fight Goliath in the name of helping him. You're about to fight a giant. He's three times your size. Let me help you, son. Here's my armor. It looked like help on the surface. But if you dig a little deeper, you understand that if David would have gotten the victory in Saul's armor, they would have attributed his victory to Saul's armor. And Saul would have got some of the credit. And they would have said, "Mm, of course he got the victory. He was wearing Saul's armor, the king. And so Saul would have been so happy for David to win the victory in his armor. But when David rolled up out there with nothing but a slingshot, no armor, but just faith in his God, when he defeated Goliath then, everybody had to stand and say, only God could have given him the victory. I came to tell somebody, there are some situations God will put you in and he'll make sure that nobody but God can get the credit for it. He won't let anybody else steal his glory. Look at Saul. Saul looked like he was helping. He wasn't helping. He wanted someone to praise himself. Come on, you've been in church. You know the story. Let me hurry. Hits Goliath with the rock. Goliath hits the ground takes it to a whole nother level, cuts his head off. 
I love telling my kids that part of the story. He cut his head off. He ain't gonna get a chance to come back. And how many know, once David got that victory that day, everything changed. It was a destiny moment. I hope you know that all moments in your life are not created equal. There are some destiny moments. There are some moments in your life that after that moment, you will never be the same. There are some lunches you'll go to and you think you just going to Chipotle. Ooh, it is so much deeper than Chipotle. It's a destiny moment. And here's the thing. Sometimes you don't know what those destiny moments look like. That's why if you can't do small things well, how do you think God can trust you with something big? Sometimes destiny moments are in the smallest of details and doing the smallest things and doing the menial things that nobody else would do. But this was a destiny moment for David. In an instant, he went from obscurity to notoriety. He is trending on the internet. Everybody knows his name. Talking about David, David, he's our man. If he can't do it, nobody can. Kids are rocking David's sneakers. They're re-watching the fight on YouTube. Talking about, man, I can't believe he cut his head off. David is the man. He's defeated the giant. He cut off his head. The wicked witch is dead. The game is over. The buzzard is sounded. And the fat lady has finally sung. Wasn't fat lady, just a group of ladies. And listen to what they sang. Saul has killed his thousands. David, his tens of thousands. And when Saul heard that, he went from running his race like this <laughs> fixing his eyes on David. Therefore, to me, Saul is a case study of the downward spiral of what comparison will always do to your life. Because comparison is always the beginning of the end. Quickly, let me show you how Saul's speech teaches us today how comparison starts to creep in your life. The ladies sing their song. Saul has killed his thousands. David is tens of thousands. Saul goes, oh, they credit David with tens of thousands, but me with only thousands? I don't know why he has a British accent, but I just felt it in the moment. <laughs> they credit David with tens of thousands, but me with only thousands? They, listen to his speech, they credit, oh, that's how it creeps. Saul is concerned about who gets the credit. He's upset. You might have comparison sneaking in your life if all you care about is who gets the credit. If you're obsessed with you getting the credit. Sometimes I just wonder if God looks from the balcony of heaven and he says, I got all these people I want to use and I am going to use, but I'm just wondering once I use them and allow my glory to go through them, can it go through them and not go to their head? To where they start standing in their own strength and try to get credit for a victory that they would not have gotten if it had not been for me on their side. Oh, one writer said, you can accomplish a whole lot as long as you're not concerned with who gets the credit. What would a church look like if there were some believers who said, as long as God gets the credit, as long as God gets the glory, you ain't got to tweet about me, but as long as he gets glory in the earth, I'm good with that. 
It says, so he's worried about credit. Ah, they credit David with tens of thousands. Oh, here it is. But me with only thousands? Saul has what I call the but me syndrome. But me. He but me. Have you ever met a but me person? These are the people that see everything in life through the lens of but me. I call them but me people. Because no matter what's going on with somebody else, they will find a way to connect it back to them because they're always thinking about them. I call them but me people. Oh, that's good for you, but, but, but what about me? These are the worst people to talk to when you have a victory because they can't celebrate what's going on with you because they're obsessed with them. These are the worst people to talk to when you're going through pain because you'll come to them for some encouragement and you'll tell them about what you're going through and they'll be like, well, you know, my dog died when I was three. Well, you know, I lost my job, too. but me, people, they are obsessed with themselves. All they think about is, oh, that's good for you, but what about me? But me, but me, but me. Their butt keeps getting in the way. Saul has the but me syndrome. He but me. And anytime but me language starts getting in your heart, you know you're on the slippery slope of comparison. I'll be honest with you, when I first read this text, I actually empathized with Saul. I really did. I felt his pain. Because you got to ask yourself, who started the comparison? Who started it? Saul didn't start the comparison. He, it's not like Saul came in from the battle and said, oh, woe is me. I've killed my thousands. David's only killed his, ten, David's killed his tens of thousands. Saul didn't start the comparison. David didn't even start the comparison. He's an innocent bystander. Come on, we can understand if Saul felt some type of way. If David came in one day and said, <laughs> let me tell you something, Saul. I'm next player, okay? I killed tens of thousands. You've only killed thousands, okay? I'm coming for your throne. We could understand that? No. Who started it? An external voice placed the weight of comparison on him. If it's not hard enough for me to fight the inner voice that wants to compare myself to other people, what do you do when somebody else has placed the unnecessary burden of comparison on you? Oh, I know you can't say anything because some of you are living it right now. Some of you have lived with it. Parents are sometimes the worst culprits. Why can't you be more like your sister? She always keeps her room clean. And then you walk by your sister's room and she's sitting on her bed that's been perfectly made and you're looking at her like, I hate you. Because come on, can we be honest? It is frustrating when people compare you to somebody else. Come on, can we be real? Nobody likes to be compared to somebody else. Well, uh, the last employee here did this. Nobody wants to live under that. I'm so shocked at the people that come to Social Dallas and they love Social Dallas, but they'd be like, well, you know, at my last church. I'm like, hold up, the one you left? <laughs> I'm all for new ideas, but isn't it funny how people will put a weight of comparison? Oh, I may as well go. I'm already there. Some of you ladies, you've been there. Come on, you cooked that first Thanksgiving meal. You put your heart, your soul, and that macaroni and cheese for your husband to eat the macaroni and cheese and go, mm, you know my mama don't make macaroni and cheese. Like, Then call your mama to come make you some macaroni and frustrating when people compare you to somebody else. Nobody wants to feel that way. We all want somebody to love us for who God uniquely called and created us to be. 
So at first I empathized with Saul. I said, Saul, that's messed up. I cannot believe these ladies made up a song of comparison, comparing you to them. And then I realized, ooh, they weren't doing that at all. On the surface, it looks like they're comparing Saul's number to David's number, but they weren't. But on the surface, it does. Because they say, Saul, you've killed your... Hello? Saul, you've killed your... And David, your... So it sounds like they're comparing numbers, right? Because Saul, you've killed your thousands. David, your tens of thousands. And that's what I thought, because I am better in English than I am in Hebrew. But I found out in Hebrew language, they would almost always amplify or exaggerate the second number mentioned, not because of its numerical value, but simply for literary impact for the totality of what was being said. I'm going to make it real play. Remember when David said, a thousand may fall at your side and, oh, we got some people that know the Bible in here, and 10,000 at your right hand. He increased the second number mentioned. But that's not the actual number. Okay, some of y'all still off. We do the same thing today. I can say, hey, don't ask me for money. Ask him for money. He's got hundreds and of dollars. I would not say he's got hundreds and cents. Because that wouldn't make any sense. I said he's got hundreds and thousands. I amplified the second number mentioned. I didn't even give you an amount. I am using that as an idiom so you can know the weight of his wealth. That's what the ladies are doing here. They are not even comparing Saul's number to David's number. You know what the ladies are actually saying? Here's all they're saying. Saul has killed a bunch and David has killed a bunch. We're just happy they all dead. That's all they're saying. They're not even comparing your number to David's number. Why are you tripping? Because your life is focused on you. And when the focus of your life is on you, instead of on the one who called you to run the race, you will exaggerate things that are not about you. You'll get offended when you shouldn't get offended. I know that post was about me. No, boo-boo, you just think everything is about you. And many of us have fallen prey to the but me. And the but me has allowed comparison to come into your heart. And God's message to you today is get in your lane and run your race. As the worship team joins me, can I confess? This is the fight of your life. This is the fight of my life. Because in every season, the enemy will try to get you to look to the right or to look to the left and compare your life to somebody else's. But God told me to tell you, if you would get in your lane, fix your eyes on him, he will give you a grace to run your race. A grace to run the race he set before you. Some of you, this is your day to allow that weight of comparison to come off of you so you can run your race. I, uh, I was debating what to preach today. And you can play. This will make this sound a whole lot more spiritual. <laughs> I was debating what to preach. I had a whole other message in my head. 
because I go to the Word of God to preach, but it's often powerful to use things that everybody's talking about in culture just to give you insight and get your attention to the Word. So I had this whole message I was going to do out of Matthew chapter 5 about when you get slapped on one cheek should turn the other cheek but I opted out of that because hear me I think it matters what you set your eyes on to run your race and some of us are so distracted by things in the culture that has taken away from us running our race Henry David Thoreau, that great poet, said, it's not just what you look at that makes the difference, it's what you see. And I love that the writer of Hebrews says that if you're going to run your race, you got to fix your eyes on Jesus. And look at what else he says. He says, you're running with endurance. He said, you're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses who have gone before you, who ran the race with endurance. That's the power of fixing your eyes on him. It's not just that I'm running and I'll stay in my lane, but he gives me the endurance I need. Even in those moments when my feelings are lacking. So, I know you probably haven't seen this picture, but this is a picture I want to show. you obsessed with the other picture, but this is the picture that I like right here. This pic Did you see this picture? Of course you didn't see it, because you saw the other picture. Did you know that Samuel L. Jackson got his first Oscar after a hundred, I think like in 58 million films, <laughs> he's been, been in and got it presented to him by the greatest actor ever to do it, my twin Denzel. What a moment. And I thought about like all those films he's been in and he fought 72 years old been married 42 years to the same woman endurance and I love it because getting the award did not authenticate the validity of his gift we need to have a generation who says I'm going to run my race and be in my lane irrespective if I get the likes, the hand claps, the followers I am not doing this for the accolades of other people. I'm doing this for the one who my eyes are fixed on. He is my passion. He is my pursuit. And how many are thankful that there will come a day, just like Samuel, that we will leave this earth and we will go to heaven and we will finally see face to face the one that our eyes should be fixed on. And is there anybody in here that's glad that you will get a reward? You will get a crown for your faithfulness. But the challenge while I'm still on earth is not to be like you or to be like anybody else but to run the race God has set before me with my eyes fixed on him God's calling you to walk in the grace and the strength to run your race not anybody else's fix your eyes on him would you stand to your feet today Father, I thank you 
that today you're lifting the weight of comparison. God, I pray for the person who, if they're honest, they've been hindered by this weight for a long time. Trying to be their brother. Trying to be their sister. Trying to be somebody that you never called or created them to be. God, I pray today would be the day they would do what that old school song says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. God, I thank you that all it takes is just a simple turn from other people and other things that we've been looking at to fix our eyes on you. God, give us the strength. Give us the grace to run our race. God, I pray today for the person who has wasted time complaining about what they don't have, that they've never even taken inventory of what you have given them. Thank you that you wouldn't have called us to it if you didn't equip us for it. So open up our eyes today to see not just our call, but to even see what you've placed on the inside of us. In Jesus' name. We would like to thank you for being a part of our social global family. Please head to our website, socialdallas.online, and see the many ways you can stay connected with us from around the world. Music.